Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. Brad's here. Does that surprise anyone? Surprises me. I I just woke up. Yeah, because we're recording this so early in the morning. <laughs> Somebody just put headphones on me and left and left the house. You just woke me up. I I got things to do, guys. I gotta go. Then I guess we'll have to just do the show with the Marquis de Suede. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Before we get into the show, which will actually be kind of meta and kind of not, let's just get the Adam and Eve promo out of the way. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free mystery gift, and free United States shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, tonight I want to talk about the evolution of film criticism, both the good and the bad. And yes, Brad and Alex, you two both fall into that the same as I do. We both fall into some of the good and some of the bad. When you look at where film criticism is now, do you think that that critics are more harsh, more nitpicky than they were, let's just stay in our lifetimes, than in the late 70s or early 80s, Brad? Crit- like professional movie critics? Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking uh, about bloggers or anything no. right now. Professional critics, honestly, I don't think so. Because uh, you'll look at many different reviews of professional movie critics for a lot of the kinds of movies we like, you know, goofy action movies, uh, horror movies, and the like. And yeah, nowadays a lot of critics don't like them, and a lot of critics will nitpick them. But they also did the same thing in the 1980s. They also did the same thing with exploitation movies in the 1970s. So I think in terms of professional criticism, I think that I think that they've still kept a relatively consistent tone. Honestly, you know, if anything, I think that some of them even got a little less nitpicky down the road. Like if you compare, say, compare Roger Ebert's review of Friday the 13th, the final chapter to his review of Jason X. Now, neither movie he liked at all. But you look at his attitude in the Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and he's soapboxing it. He's angry. He's coming up with all these conspiracy theories about the the intent of the filmmakers and all this. But if you look at his review for Jason X, it's like, yeah, this movie's like really dumb and stupid and, you know, half a star. And like his attitude is completely different. His attitude is very jokey. Like it's a very kind of comedic review about it. Like he's kind of just kind of laughing along with the movie sort of. So some critics, I think, sort of just got used to that kind of movie, really, than they were in the 1980s. I'd say that, yeah, a lot of critics are, the professional ones are a lot easier on movies now than they used to be. A big part of it would also be, the only good reviews I read for really bad movies come from critics who are being as vague as possible, because a lot of them are on, like, the payroll for the studio, yeah, I'm gonna talk. We're gonna talk more about that a little bit. <laughs> David Manning. We're, we're, well, who that? He doesn't exist. So, I mean, we're talking people that exist, right? I I know, but but <laughs> you you kind of have this thing that say you work for a Rupert Murdoch owned newspaper. Rupert Murdoch is the major shareholder in 20th Century Fox. Are you basically committing career suicide if you completely trash a 20th Century Fox movie? There is a built-in bias 
amongst the professional movie critics that work for the major companies reviewing movies put out by the major companies. I don't know if I agree with that. If a, if a critic does that, if a critic consistently does that, well, they're just an unprofessional movie critic. But I don't know how often that happens because look at Siskel and Ebert when they got bought out, when ABC got bought out by Disney. Siskel and Ebert still continued to give very honest opinions on movies that were released by Disney. And I, I think at that point they were big enough names that, that they were kind of untouchable. But when you've got just your, your, your average movie critic whose name we may not know, that may not be a household name, they may be afraid Rupert Murdoch is really backing this movie. And it sucked. If I say it sucked or outright say it sucked, Rupert might take my job. You, you I, gotta think that, that that at least goes through their head when they're reviewing the movie that my boss loves this movie. I think it at least clouds the review. I don't know how I'm not saying it never happens, but I don't know how often that would happen because it would start to become very obvious if this movie critic likes every single twentieth century Fox movie. You do see those though. I've seen some critics for for, for major newspapers or whatnot, that you tend to notice that whenever a certain major studio, let's, let's say Warner Brothers, for this example, okay. puts out a movie, they generally give it much more of a pass than the same quality of movie put out by, by a competitor. And then you find out through the big string of shell companies, oh, gee, the company they work for is a wholly owned subsidiary of Warner Brothers. You'd actually have to sh for me to go along with this. You'd actually have to show me some evidence. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that it, that that doesn't. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm sure it probably does. But for me to really have a very honest opinion on that, I would really have to see some names and see some examples on that. Well, I know recently, just last year, there was that thing with video game critics that they kept calling Dorito Gate, where I didn't hear about this. Video game critics were really coming under a lot of pressure because they were being influenced by not necessarily the publisher, but the I think it the was publisher the Halo, had. I believe it was the Halo 4 release. Yeah, where the whole guy, he, his review was – he wasn't necessarily reviewing a game as much as getting you to go buy Doritos. He was sitting in Mountain front of Dew. a huge display of Doritos and Mountain Dew, drinking and eating Doritos and Mountain Dew while talking about how Doritos and Mountain Dew paid for all this advertising, and yeah, you should maybe go out and get Halo 4, too. Yeah, he was he was selling Doritos and Mountain Dew for Halo 4. He was barely, barely reviewing the game. It was Guys, like, Doritos are delicious. Are, yeah. you are you disagreeing with what he's saying? <laughs> I'm disagreeing with how he said it, bastard. <laughs> Incidentally, I'm eating Doritos and Mountain Dew right now, and I hate Halo 4. But, I mean, yeah, you, you do have the obvious shills, and they are usually obvious in their shilling, that they the, that their review is for sale, for lack of a better way to put it. You've got people like Harry Knowles. I, some people call him a professional critic. I've seen him super to, as that in documentaries, and that kind of offends me a little bit. Let's just say Harry Knowles is a professional critic. He's made no bones about the fact that his reviews are for sale. He can be rallying against the movie based on all the previews, the interviews. They they will bring him to an all-expense-paid set visit, give him exclusive interviews with the stars, and bring him to the world premiere. Best movie ever made! Yeah, but there's also examples where they did that, and he gave it a negative review. The remake of Rollerball, Batman and Robin, that doesn't always happen with Harry Knowles. 
you look at like Godzilla. He was one of the few critics at the at the time that that was new that said this movie is phenomenally fun. It's amazing movie. Oh gee, he has a cameo in the movie and he had multiple all uh, but he also the set. But, but he also had a cameo in Monkey Bone which he gave a negative review to. But you know, you've got those people that make it clear my review is for sale. So yeah, I guess, but I just gave you examples where his review wasn't. How do you actually ninety percent of the time his review is for sale? How do you know this? How do you actually know this? Because I've yet to see concrete evidence of how often that's happened. Because every time someone cites an example like you just did, you can back it up with a case where that didn't happen, where where it has to do with set visits. Oh, hey, he had set visits on this film. Guess what? He gave that a negative review. Oh, hey, he had a cameo in this movie. Guess what? He gave it a negative review. Does that suddenly just get thrown in the garbage because it goes against people's points? Filmthreat.com a few years ago did do an expose on Harry and found out that, yeah, he has basically, he's done it more often than he hasn't. A set a set visit to a bad movie will get it a good review unless it's a really, really bad movie. But at the same time, you also have that, that obvious bias. You have that obvious bias that, that not just Harry Knowles, I'm just using him as an example, but I'm not trying to just say he's the only one that does it. He's basically gimme, 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 and you'll get something on a quid pro quo kind of level. You give me exclusive set visits, you get the good review. I want to play in this league. Well, look, I, I, I don't know in terms of, look, I, I, I don't really know if like Harry does or Harry doesn't. I, I just have never, I just have never seen enough, enough freaking concrete evidence to convince me even if he gives something a glowing review there are other people on that site who give very very honest reviews that a lot of times will will sometimes disagree with he with what he says capone gives very honest reviews john airy gives very good and honest reviews so even if like say he he gives like a glowing review to say like the last stand there's critics on there who don't who 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 don't give it that that positive of a review Let's just say for the sake of argument, we're, we're, we're talking about a critic who, who has made it clear that their reviews are for sale. Okay, I'm not saying yeah. it's Harry Knowles, just some fictional critic right now. Yeah, yeah. For an example. When that happens, why does the, the movie-going audience still put so much credibility in these reviews? Because I remember like when Crow City of Angels came out. <laughs> the only reviews that were allowed to come out prior to the movie were positive reviews. Mm-hmm. The company, which was that Miramax, was that early yeah, Miramax? Yeah, it was. It was it was or was it under their Dimension? That's what I'm not sure. I know it was the Weinstein's, but I can't remember if it was Miramax or Dimension. But the studio said basically, if you gave the movie a negative review, you have to hold it until the day of release. Okay. Only positive reviews are let out early. Sure. Knowing that now, obviously we didn't know that at the time, but knowing that now. Does that not kind of just scream sleazy business practice? Like, then why would you believe this critic who's only reviewing the movie because he agreed to give it a good review? Yeah, I mean, like, that that kind of comes down to whether or not a person trusts that critic. I mean, look at it like maybe if you really if, – if it's a critic that you really like and have kind of trusted for a long time, you know, you could probably wrap it in your head to like, well, maybe they legitimately liked the movie. It's just Crow City of Angels, so I don't see how that's possible. It looked pretty. 
It did. It did look very pretty. It had a very good cinematography. I'll give it that. It wasn't it wasn't a poorly made film. But uh, so, uh, you know, like look at it like this, like, you know, maybe some of those critics genuinely liked the movie or and if somebody continues to trust them, it's it's probably because they've trusted them in the past or they they frequently read this particular critic. Well, see, like the way I look at it is when it comes to credibility, you only have that once. It's like virginity. Once it's gone, you can't get it back. Once you've blown your credibility with saying, yeah, I took money for this or I shilled for this movie, you can't get it back. Like CNN. I can never trust CNN after they've been caught faking some of their news reports and faking their live stand-ups. Mm-hmm. You can't regain that kind of credibility. People like Harry Knowles are like that with me that – even if you don't do it every time, I can never believe you again. And for me, like there has to, there has to actually be concrete evidence that this happened. There has to actually be some kind of admission because really that accusation gets thrown around a lot in movie critic circles, especially online. It gets thrown around so much that I really, really, really need actual evidence that this happened or else i'm just gonna write it off as somebody just talking out their ass or they're they're mad that this person liked this movie that somebody else didn't like i'm gonna go with brad on that one about the you know you need evidence because there is a lot of people that will jump to a conclusion when they don't like a movie it's like well this movie was terrible the only reason they gave it a positive review is i guess they're paid off yeah that there is a huge problem nowadays especially with the internet of people refusing to accept another person's point of view oh yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I, I, I brad l- l- let's just go with to you on that point dark knight rises yeah dark knight rises y- yeah <laughs> um some of that some of that was a little uh was a little messy there was not much there was really nothing there that really like made me mad or anything like what I mean, the thing is, is they try to they try to catch you in a moment of hypocrisy, you know, which if you do this for a living and you talk about movies every week, you're probably going to say something that contradicts something that you've said in a previous video, in a previous review. Every critic who has thousands of reviews, you're going to find a statement that probably contradicts something else. What a lot of people don't understand is how. Maybe a problem that one movie has is okay, but it is a problem in another movie. Take, for instance, the whole idea of plot holes. You know, plot holes. Like, just because a movie's got a plot hole, that means it sucks. And my idea. Brad, you and I liked Prometheus, despite its problems. Right, yeah. And my feeling on that has always been like, okay, maybe there's a movie I don't like because of plot holes, but because it's because they were so bad that I noticed it during the movie. It was so bad that it was evident in the movie as you're watching it, as it's happening, and it's taking you out of the movie and is very distracting. That's a problem. That's when it's a problem. If I'm watching it and I'm entertained enough by it that I don't notice it happening and it's not distracting me, guess what? I don't give a crap. Do you know how many action movies I grew up in the 80s that I would have to now not like because of plot holes? Yeah. If I'm watching it and like they do a good enough job to where it it just breezes by you and you're still along with the ride, you know, you're still captivated by what's going on in the movie. 
who cares? But if it's so bad that, yeah, it's, it's taking you out of the movie and it's really distracting you, then yeah, I get it. I, I totally get it. I totally do. But that doesn't mean that I should dislike this other movie because of plot holes when I liked this other movie that had plot holes in it just because I didn't notice it in the other movie, you know? There's also the fact that, like you pointed out, someone, a critic that maybe has thousands of reviews, times change. Maybe their opinions changed because they got more information. Maybe their tastes changed. Like, for me, I loved 2001 as a kid because it was beautiful and grandiose. Uh-huh. Now I can't stand it. It's boring. It's trite. My opinion on that movie has changed. There are movies I hated as a kid. I love now because now I get the jokes. Because, you know, it, like a movie like Network, that mm-hmm. bored me to tears as a kid. Now mm-hmm. it's in my top ten best movies ever made. Times change. You grow as a critic. So sometimes when it's something like that, when you've got an extended period of time, that's yeah. one thing. If last year you hated Friday the 13th Part 5 and now it's on your top ten, okay, that might be a little suspect. Then the, yeah oh oh yeah yeah totally you're ex- and I think everybody's like that like that's that's not just movie critics everyone's like that people's taste change maybe what worked for them ten years ago doesn't necessarily work for them right now or maybe they notice things now that they that they didn't really notice before upon upon a second a second or third viewing you know hey, maybe it just doesn't hold up very well I think everybody's like that everyone's totally like that hell. Roger Ebert uh, had a uh, uh, in his great movies section had The Shining in there under uh, his great movies articles, and he also talked about when the movie first came out. He didn't really like it all that much, and then you know saw it again years later and gave it a four star review. People do change their minds because, for instance, I used to hate hate the movies of David Dakota except for Puppet Master Three until I've recently watched a whole lot of his movies and kind of gotten where he's coming from and i could totally appreciate what he's doing and that yeah i still make fun of them but that's because i like them uh me with uh off the top of my head uh friday the 13th part six jason lives when i first saw it when i was about probably 10 or 11 i remember sitting there like why is this one so freaking goofy like what the hell and then i see it you know several years later and i'm like Okay, that's the that's the point. This one's like intentionally a comedy. It's all it's, it's almost on the line of self-parody, but yeah. knowing knowing it is. But yeah, self-parody that for me like totally worked because I mean self-parody can go bad. But that one that one seeing it years later being being older like okay, yeah, this one I mean, well, I saw it again. Like, I was probably still a teenager the second time I saw it, probably in high school. And then yeah, b- being like, okay, I t- I totally get what they're doing here now. It's, very self-aware it's very intentionally cheesy and they're really just kind of spoofing the whole jason slasher movie thing and you know it kind of it, it really sort of works well what do you think about the almost forced negativity that the internet requires and are you, ask, are you asking me to apologize for this no <laughs> no, no, no not in the least what i'm talking about is how you, you are almost required to hate something about a movie, even that you love. Otherwise, you seem like a shill. A perfect example is writer and comic artist Stephen Bissett when he was writing for Rue Morgue magazine. He absolutely loved one of the movies 
that he saw. He, he, I mean, he's like, this is my top three of all time. His review, glowingly positive. You know why they rejected the review? Can't you find something negative to talk about? They basically were not interested because he wasn't bitching about something in the movie. Do you think that's a modern thing that the internet has sort of engendered that there's got to be something wrong with this movie? You can't just love it. Otherwise, yeah. you come across as a shill. Yeah, because, I mean, the internet, it's a collection of everybody. It's like everybody's freaking online. So if something's poorly received and goes over really badly, hey, we're all going to freaking know about it. And you know what people like reading the most? You know what people like writing the most? It's negativity. It, it, it is. I mean, believe me, I know. Hey, and, look, uh, look, at, look at my whole career. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of people read your stuff because of its entertaining, cynical negativity. No offense. <laughs> it's very no, that's well that's what written. I'm going for, so there's yeah. no offense, because that, that's the point of it. <laughs> I, I, I never know what I'm <laughs> – I never know if I'm insulting someone. But I, I, know what you, I know what you mean, because when I gave a positive review for the second Ghost Rider movie – I was like, this movie's this it's a goofy B movie. It's kind of fun. I was really entertained by it. Um several people said that I was just giving it a positive review just because Nicolas Cage is in it. To which oh, my reaction Oh come on, you've crapped on numerous Nick Cage movies. Yeah, to which my to which my reaction was, okay, motherfucker, then why the hell didn't I like Trespass? Uh Seeking Justice, the first Ghost Rider movie. Yeah, it does go back to the fact that people have a hard time accepting that somebody else has a different opinion about something than you might. So they assume, oh, well, you must be, you know, being paid by the studio. That's the only thing that you could say about it. That's oh good. Oh, my God. The Dark Knight Rises thing. You must have been in yeah. a bad mood that day. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> it must be because you saw it at midnight. Like, really? Yeah, unlike all like the I'm... other movies you saw that summer, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was just that one. It was just that one that, that I was not in the mood for. Well, but uh, that even goes to Alex and I both loved the movie John Dies at the end. We got you to watch it. You liked, liked it, it, but you didn't like it as much as we did. That's just a difference of opinion. The movie didn't strike you the way it did Alex and I. No, I, I still liked it. I, I, I still I still liked the movie. I didn't I didn't love it, but but I but I, I, I found liked it. it I was shockingly I was, original. I thought I did think it was I did think it was original. I didn't love it as much as you guys did but I, I would certainly recommend the movie you've got the other thing that comes with the internet is and, and i guess this has always happened but in a way it's kind of like what the whole cinema snob is based on when uh -huh. you come to professional movie reviewers they're reviewing movies that are not made for them i see yeah. professional reviewers that are having to review asylum movies yeah. of course they're not gonna like those yeah, you have to put yourself in the mind frame of what the intended audience is. Like, is it good for that kind of audience? I didn't recommend the movie Epic. Was I the intended audience? No. But even with that said, I know the difference between a movie that's just not my taste and one that's bad even for that genre. Epic was bad even for that freaking genre. It was just bad. But on the other end, when I reviewed The Hobbit, I was like, I really didn't like this movie, but it's it's just not for me. Like, somebody who th is the intended audience for this, are they going to like it? Most likely, yeah. Most likely, yeah, they are. Was it for me? No, it wasn't. But I, but that's 
it's not made for me. So I, is it a good example of the kind of movie that the, its audience is probably looking for? Yeah, probably. So, I mean, that's really the mindset that's really most appropriate to go into movies like that. Like, that's really the mindset that people in the, that a lot of professional critics in the 80s should have had in going to, like, a slasher movie. Are they going to not like it? Most likely. But some should say, like, well, will it work for this particular audience? Like, is it better than maybe some others? You know, it, it, who knows? Well, you've also got movies that are basically critic proof, like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. They talk about this a little bit on the DVD. They went in. The advertising materials were, we're trying to make the worst film of all time. It kind of makes your movie critic proof. They can't really bitch about it because if it is bad, then they did their job right. And if it's not bad, then they still did their job right because they made a good movie. And they, made a, they made a critic-proof movie. I think that that movie did do a good job because it's a comedy and it was really funny. It was kind of a spoof of, you know, goofy like drive-in movies and such. And and like that, I thought it really worked. I, I think it so should be disqualified from being considered like one of the worst movies ever made. Because they went into it trying to do that exact thing. Yeah, it was like sort of a satire on movies like that. And I thought it was I thought it was pretty funny. But there there's a lot of different kinds of movies that are critic proof slasher movies are critic proof a lot of a lot of horror movies are depending on the depending on the ambition certain comedies like gross out comedies are generally critic proof Freddy got fingered not... yeah yeah uh i think by that point a lot of people were just tired of tom green tom green was tired of tom green at that point right right yeah is certain gross out comedies i think are a little critic proof i i mean there's certainly exceptions like when it gets to a, it when it gets to the point to where like people are just straight out calling it one of the worst films ever made then i think then i think people kind of pay attention to what reviews of a, of a certain movie are like yeah but the audience for a slasher movie is not the same audience as a as a professional movie critic so they're not going to pay attention to what they're not going to pay you know what they're not going to pay attention to what they say neg negatively but in my experience, you do kind of take notice whenever one actually is getting really good reviews. You know what I mean? When one is actually getting like extremely good reviews. The Avengers. That I'm honestly surprised, leaving my, my issues with Whedon totally out of this, I'm surprised a movie like that, you know, a superhero popcorn movie, was getting the mainstream critical acclaim that it was. Because that's usually the kind of movie that they shit all over. Hey, I'm not surprised by that because the other movies in that series got fairly fairly good reviews too. Yeah, same here. It didn't surprise me that movie looked like it was going to do really well right off the bat. And well, I it thought did. it was going to do well. I didn't think it would be hailed as the best movie of the year by all these major major professional critics. Usually, superhero movies don't wind up on those kind of lists. That's the surprising part to me. Ah, uh, sometimes they do. Spider-Man 2 ended up on a lot of lists. Dark Knight certainly did. It 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 it, it happens. And that that the critical acclaim of the Avengers that didn't surprise me. Like because because like I said, for the most part, the other movies in the series were well received critically as well. Well, then let's move on to our favorite fake sh fake critic, David Manning. Was he the Spider-Man 3 one? No, no. This was the Animal First Night. Okay. The, this uh, was this was the critic that was made up by 
he had a couple non-Sony films that they used him for, but mainly Sony, Sony Pictures. Yeah. They made up a critic. Basically, when they knew they had a bomb on their hands, they knew, you know, they're releasing Rob Schneider's fucking The Animal. They yeah. knew this is this is going to tank. The critics are going to hate this. So they made up a critic, David Manning, who gave these great reviews to generally really bad movies, and they got away with it for almost a year. And when yeah. they got caught, they got caught hard. They actually lost a class action lawsuit where everyone who admitted they got taken in by a David Manning review got eight bucks back. Wow. Yeah, I remember that happening. And I remember what I thought when it happened, which was this whole thing just seems really stupid because you know what? You can find a positive review for any movie that comes out. You can go online right now and probably find a positive review from a newspaper or a magazine of the animal. It just seemed really stupid to me that they would make somebody up. Because there is always going to be someone that likes something. Hangover 3. Yes, you can find a critic online who, who likes Hangover 3. It's not a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Alex, tell us about your, your little David Manning future project. Oh, I want to go write his reviews. I want to write the David Manning reviews for those movies. Because they didn't actually have reviews. They just had a sentence and attributed it to David Manning. I like it. It was stuff like a rip-roaring fun ride and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I want to write the rest of that review where that sentence came from. And I think that would be a really fun project for Geek Juice, honestly. Actually, that gives me an, that gives me a good idea for a new show. A new show about a guy who's hired by a movie company to write good reviews for the worst movies ever. Now, what about what happens when the critics take a hatred to a filmmaker and they will not even give anything he does a real chance? And I'm guilty of this as well when it comes to Whedon. Not Tarantino, because I'm actually willing to give his stuff a shot and the fact that I enjoyed Django Unchained despite some problems with it. Proves that I'm willing to give Tarantino a chance. I even liked his CSI episode. Yeah, so, to be fair, you've liked you've liked uh, other films of his too. Yes. Whereas, actually, as much as as much as you bitch about him, you're actually when it when it comes down to it, you're actually very fair when you watch his movies. I try to be. I I, I can't say I do that with Joss Whedon, but because I try- you don't actually because you don't actually see his movies. Well, not not the last two. Other than that, I've seen them. But but you've got ones, and I'm going to bring up, we, we've got no bias towards loving Uwe Boll. I outright told him when we interviewed him, I thought House of the Dead was one of the worst films I've ever seen. Uh-huh. That's about as unass kissing as you can get. At the same time, look at the reviews for Assault on Wall Street. The, the critics were going to hate this movie just because Uwe Boll's name was attached to it. Because no matter what he did in this film, they were going to hate it. The movie is a slow burn. The, mm. Almost the first hour is character development, and then yeah. it gets to the action. So the trailer is a tad misleading. It's a slow build. So what are all the critics' problems? Nothing happens in the first hour. It's boring until the action starts. And now uh. you know if he'd have pulled the exact opposite and had lots of action and no character development, they would have said, there's no character in this, it's just mindless action. They were going to hate this movie because Uwe Boll wrote and directed it, no matter what. Certain critics, probably. All of them, no. Uh, Because Rampage was a well-received Uwe Boll film. It got fairly 
I'd say mixed to positive reviews, cons- considering how re- how reviews for his movies usually go. The that got pretty positive reviews. So are there critics who wouldn't like something just because his name's attached to it, and they're probably gonna nitpick a lot of what they see? Of course, but I, I don't think that's I don't think that's always the case, and I think that the good reviews for Rampage kind of prove that a little bit. Yeah, I liked Assault on Wall Street, and. You know, there is a lot of critics that do have a bias, and it takes yeah. a lot to get beyond that bias. Like, I used to hate, hate Michael Bay and everything that he's ever done, until I decided to do that retrospective of him, watched The Island, talked a bit with Kevin over the past couple weeks about bad boys and stuff, and come to appreciate Michael Bay's style. You know, but it was not a Transformers on, movie or a slasher remake. When I yeah. mention him on Facebook, there's still a lot of... A lot of vile that's like, oh, how could anybody like anything from Michael Bay? Well, because we've seen because we've seen all of his movies, not just the shitty ones. The only yeah. one I haven't seen is Transformers Three because uh, you can't make me. There's no way you're gonna make me. Yeah. I saw the first two. You're not getting me for the third one. You're just not. Well, would you actually give? And keep in mind, it's it's not like I'm even that huge of a fan of this guy anyway. Because really. A lot of his stuff I really don't like, but I did like, but I did like the Avengers. Would you actually watch a Joss Whedon movie and give it a fair shake? At this point, probably not. Because How is that? Because my, my hatred his... is my hatred for him, and I first of all, I hate his style so huh. much that you see, unlike Tarantino, where like the the nitpicks I had with with Django Unchained were not Tarantino nitpicks; they were general movie nitpicks general movie kind of mistakes that bugged me the the stuff i that bothers me with joss whedon are pure joss whedon his snarky ass unrealistic dialogue his smug style of acting that he pushes on his actors just the way he directs it i hate so much honestly i don't i i honestly really don't disagree with you i'm not the biggest joss whedon fan in the world i don't have the utter hatred for him like you do but i'm honestly really not a fan i'm not a fan of buffy i'm not a fan of a few of the other things he's done i thought firefly was all right but really a lot of those problems that you've mentioned that i've had with other things he's done were not evident to me at all in avengers and see i've heard that but i'm i've been i've been burned too many times you know I, I can't watch the Avengers. Well, and first of all, the Avengers already had, no matter who directed it, had built-in bias to me because I didn't like Iron Man. I didn't like the the Hulk. I didn't like Captain America. I didn't like the Marvel movies that built up to it. So I'm probably not going to like the culmination of those. No, you're honest, honestly, yeah, yeah, honestly, you're probably not because really tonally it is much like those other movies. Like each of each of the characters from the other ones, they sort of bring that tone into into this one. So if if you don't like the other ones, no, you're most likely not going to like. You're most likely not going to like the Avengers, but that doesn't really scream that it's Whedon's fault. It just screams that it's more like, okay, you just don't like this series. Never really cared for anything Joss Whedon did before The Avengers, but I really liked the previous Marvel comic films, which the two canceled each other out, so I approached the movie with an open mind. Well, what happens when when you have a critic that that, that keeps their bias and and makes strange choices, like Roger Ebert? How much he hated Night of the Living Dead 
and how much he loved Dawn of the Dead. When, yes, they're two very different films, it's kind of strange when the guy who hates horror movies, hates slasher movies, called Phantasm II a nonstop gore fest with zero point, lists Dawn of the Dead as one of the best movies of the 70s. Well, I mean, a movie can be a gore film and and can be... All right, that's, that's sort of like... Uh... You know, just because you didn't like gross-out humor in one movie, but you might like it in another movie because another movie did it better. You know, another movie was maybe more well-written, had more character development to it. You know, okay, Roger Ebert, he gave uh, gave a negative review to uh, Hell Knight. All right, he gave a negative review to Hell Knight, the slasher the, the, movie. The Linda Blair one? The Linda Blair one. But, he gave, a, but he gave a positive review to, uh, he gave a positive review to, okay, Dawn of the Dead, Halloween. Well, those are better movies than Hell Knight is. I'll, 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 give, I'll give that to him. But, you know, he also he gave four stars to Dawn of the Dead, but he gave one and a half stars to Day of the Dead. Which, arguably, I might get lynched by Romero fanboys here. I actually think Day of the Dead is the strongest of Romero's Dead trilogy. I don't think that that's even like a really taboo subject anymore. I know plenty of people who like Day of the Dead better. I love Day of the Dead. I love both Day of the Dead and Dawn. I think that Dawn, I would say that Dawn is the better film. I, I will, but I do love them both. And I think it's gotten to the point where Day of the Dead has aged very well. It's looked upon much better now than it did in 1985. Even by critics, it's it tends to get a better shake now than it did than it did uh, uh, 20 some years ago. So I can I can certainly see why someone would gravitate more towards Day of the Dead than they do Dawn. I love them both. I think Dawn is the better film, but they're both great movies. I liked Land. I thought Land of the Dead was good. Let's, I, leave, let's leave Diary and Survival out, because those aren't connected, you know, sort of yeah. sort of continuity-ish <laughs> wise terrible. with the others. Well, no, I mean, j- just they're technically a different franchise. Technically, but yeah. I liked Land of the Dead. I thought the ending was kind of stupid, but other than that, I really liked it. I, I was liked one it of too. the few that did. I- I'm talking when it first came out. That thing was critically destroyed. So that brings me to my next point. What What is the disconnect between, say, the professional movie reviewers and the audience? Because you see Transformers 2, perfect example. Huge blockbuster. There are lines around the block. Everyone's going to see this. Negative reviews across the board. What do you think is the disconnect between the critic and the audience. Well, the audience is looking for a different thing than a professional movie critic is, really. Somebody, an audience member who is going into Transformers 2 is going into it for completely different reasons than a critic is. And I think even outside of criticism, Transformers 2 is a terrible freaking movie, and I really don't know how much how it made that much damn money. You've always had that. You had that uh, with slasher movies doing so well in the 1980s. Schwarzenegger movies doing Seagal so well. movies. I can't remember a there single well. Yeah. I can't remember a single well-reviewed by a major critic Seagal movie in his theatrical run. Well, because they're made for a specific type of audience that has different tastes and looks at movies in a different way than your stereotypical movie critic will. You know, they, they, so you're, you're they're kind of going after different audiences there, and uh, really, really good movie critics noticed that and and really worked with that and would give uh, and would give a positive review to something like that if it was a fun movie like Gene Siskel was a huge Steven Seagal fan he put Under Siege on his list of the best movies of the year 
Ebert loved it too. Hell, Under Siege 2 got two thumbs up from the both of them. Uh, the first one got two thumbs up. Uh, they gave two thumbs up to Sudden Death, the uh, Van Damme movie. So you, so you certainly did have critics out there like them who would be like, you know what, this movie is really, really fun. I had a good time. There you go. I'm a p- positive review for it. But, you know, then you had your stereotypical movie critics like your Rex Myra Breckenridge reads who, yeah, it's got a guy in a ponytail kicking a guy in a throat. Oh, this is no Mrs. Brown. Zero stars. Basically the people that the snob is based on. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, um, like, I know, like, the, the, the whole snob is, like, very much inspired from Ebert's Friday the 13th Part 4 review, but 80s Ebert is a little different than... <laughs> was a little different than the ebert of 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 the years of the years after that there's also a lot of people that don't understand the critic themselves like the snob for instance there's a lot of people that don't know that the snob is a parody and think you're giving an honest review and get mad at you over like why did you hate this movie i used to get that i don't so much anymore if that if that still goes around i haven't oh man i haven't seen it I don't think I've seen any since you did Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the last oh, time I saw any. Yeah, there was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there was somebody who was like mad at me. Who <laughs> was like mad at me about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing. It's like, you do know I'm just making fun of Roger Ebert's review, right? Well, same with I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's basically every line Jared had in that was basically making fun of Roger Ebert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very much a spoof of uh, what he said in his review for that. But then why do you think the opposite happens? That all the critics will love a movie and no one goes, like Dread. Dread was Dread got great reviews across the board. People that didn't even like science fiction or action movies were giving Dread great reviews. And it was like crickets at the movie theater. Well, it had the... You know what? It's because of those great reviews, though... And also the people who did see it in the theater, the good word of mouth from that, that it made a killing on video and DVD. So there was good that did come out of that. In its theatrical run, honestly, dude, I think it was the stigma of the Stallone movie. I think people thought that it had something to do with the Stallone movie. I got comments from people who thought that it was just going to be like the Stallone one, that it was in the same canon as, as that movie. I think that it that that movie, the the Sylvester Stallone one, really kind of tainted that movie's chances of doing well at the box office. E- uh, even even tangentially tainted it. But you've also got like with the new Judge Dredd, you, you've you've got you've got ones like where John Wagner, the creator of Judge Dredd, was at a a press screening or a preview screening. It was it was even before anyone saw it, and. He said the movie is great other than one minor little nitpick, which I also had as a fan of the comic, but it was so minor, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't hamper my enjoyment of the movie at all. And everyone thought, okay, he's being paid by the studio. That, that it was just inconceivable because yeah. of the Stallone Judge Dredd movie that this movie could ever be good. And I but think, lo- like you said, everyone was going in. That Stallone movie did more damage to that as a franchise than I think Stallone could ever realize. Yeah, I mean, but it is, but those reviews did pay off, though. They did. Those reviews did, there was good that came out of all those positive reviews for it. There was good that came out of, you know, the good word of mouth that it had with a brief time that it was in, that it was in theaters because it did crazy freaking well when it hit DVD, which 
I pr- which I honestly predicted it would because I went to that movie and when it bombed, I was like, "There's no way that this movie is just going to disappear." There yeah, is. Yeah, I like, loved. It. I saw it in the theater and I loved it too. What about when when movies, especially like when a studio knows that they have a bomb on their hands, that they they do like the Crow City of Angels thing and they make critics hold their reviews until the day of release. What what do you think happens then when you see like a movie, Crow City of Angels, perfect example, monstrous box office weekend, drops to like number twelve the next week <laughs> because they because fi- all the reviews finally got out. Do you think that 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 people just can't wait? They can't say, you know what, I really want to see this movie, but I, I'm just gonna see how it goes over, or screw it, we're just going out to the movies on Friday. Let's go see this movie. You know, it's hard for me to say about that because I have to see a movie like opening night regardless. Um, Well, that's your job. Yeah. Like, so for me, I'm never in the mindset of like, well, let me see how this is going to go over. Like I, I have to be there regardless. So uh, are you asking me if that kind of attitude still goes around? Yeah, because the internet has made it easier, especially with a lot of foreign or a lot of American movies getting early foreign releases. People like film brain and, whatnot will get the movie a week or two early that even if american critics have to hold their reviews which they still pull this yeah you can still read the foreign reviews do you think it's the same as it was in the 90s or in the pre-internet era i think it depends on the movie i mean for pretty much any review that i put up there will be plenty of people who would who who were like yeah, you kind of, okay, like at first I was on the fence, but then you guys said it was pretty good, so I, I might go check it out. So yeah, there's certainly plenty of people like that, and there's also, yeah, there's also the cases where that hurts the movie d- domestically here in the States. I don't know how good this would have done regardless, but the bad word of mouth that Battleship got when it was released overseas like a week or two, hell, I think it was even longer, I think it was like a month prior to to the movie being released here in the states i'm not saying that movie would have done well regardless but i imagine it took at least a little bit of a hit for how badly that movie went over in uh in europe do you think that that is indicative of the internet or do you think your average your average middle class family really cares what a critic says or do they just want to go out to the movies on a friday night and have a good time. Do do you think that they even care what a movie critic has to say anymore? No, I don't. But I think that that kind of family has always been present, and I think they've always been like that. Like, uh, hell, my dad, growing up when we were kids, he, he didn't give a damn what the critics said. You know, he, he didn't care. He didn't really read reviews. You know, it was like, I want to see this movie. Whatever, I don't really read reviews. Let's Let's just go see it. I think the difference between then and now is that you have a collection of professional movie critics as well as people like us who and people like bloggers so that's so then you have an, you have an endless supply of reviews you can look at you can look at bloggers you can look at professional movie critics you can look at us just shooting the shit here on on a radio show or you can look at vlog vlogs like me and dave and jake and brian on you know our midnight screenings just you know rambling for a half hour or more about about a certain movie so i mean there's a wealth of opinion you can get on any freaking movie nowadays but i don't think that that has ever made the difference in a family that 
doesn't really read reviews in newspapers, and they're certainly not going to read reviews online or be online on a site like mine looking at or, or like Ain't It Cool or, you know, it, in any other site. There's still, there's still always going to be that family who, you know, we just want to go out on a Friday night and, hey, here's a movie about like battleships fighting each other. Let's go check it out. People reading reviews these days, I know I can't speak for everybody, but in my opinion, I'll take the advice of critics I know that, you know, I'm familiar with. I've read or watched their stuff enough to where I know where they're coming from. But like if random critic that I've never heard of says it's a good movie, that's not going to sell me or, you know, turn me off of the movie more than, okay, these critics that, you know, I'm familiar with and I know where they're coming from, what they like and don't like, their opinion of the movie will sway whether or not I go see this. It'll sway whether or not I read them, you know, you know what I mean? Like, uh, the, like a lot of critics that I read and watch, it's because, uh, you know, I, I, it could be because I think that they're really good writers. It could be that on video, I think they're entertaining. And also, of course, you tend to gravitate towards the one that most, that more so reflects your own personal taste. So whoever somebody chooses as a critic that they watch or they read or whatever, it's, it's, it's a personal thing designed for that person, you know? You're going to gravitate towards somebody who most likely fits your taste in things. Like, so in that regard, like, yeah, I'm not going to read, I'm not really going to read Rex Reed's reviews, except for just like maybe some shits and giggles, because sometimes they might be kind of funny because they're so damn snooty. I'm still not used to the fact that every time a new movie that you know, I'm looking forward to comes out, everyone goes, what did you think of it? Why do you care what I think of it? Because they want to see, because they want to see you get mad about it. It's the same, it's the same thing as me getting comments saying like, you should, you should send Jake to blah, 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 X movie. You know, you should send Jake to this. You should send Dave to that. You know, you people like, people like it when you get mad about a certain movie. I can relate to that. Whenever Jake is yelling about Smurfs, it, it is funny. <laughs> when I'm looking for something, some new movie, I actually will gravitate more towards the people that say this movie sucks than I do the people who like it, because that's the kind of movie I like. It's the kind of movie that certainly makes me curious to sit through. Like when those reviews came out, Oh, oh God, yeah, I, I, I would have paid however much money to sit through Battlefield Earth because I, I got to see how bad this thing is. I, I just gotta, I just gotta know for myself just how much of a turkey this movie is. I saw it in the theater. I did too. I was, I, I, I was working there. I was working there at the time, so I got to see firsthand from people coming out of that theater. We're, we've run out of time, so if people do want to watch your midnight reviews, where can they go? Find them on uh, thecinemasnob.com, and that's where they are, first run, and on weekends they're posted on thatguywiththeglasses.com. Alex never asserts himself, Jowski? Hey, you can find me at geekjuicemedia.com. You can find me at the same geekjuicemedia, otherwise 1201beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.